Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned. Good morning, to find good out evening, more. good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I'm David. And today, folks, I think we have another one. Uh, there's a lot of us that we were on, I guess, the other side of the veil, maybe. And we were very, I want to see it. I want to see, I want proof. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to see it. And we had a lot of skepticism. And we have a gentleman today, 30 years, folks, 30 years he worked at the South Florida Sentinel, Sun Sentinel, and so his quest was looking for accuracy, and he had a huge dose of skepticism. I mean, why not in that business? And then something happened. I'm sure we'll find out in the hour what happened, but he pierced the veil, and so he is no longer skeptical, and we want to know what happened to him to change his mind. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kingsley Guy to the podcast. Welcome, Kingsley. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Hamza. Yes. yes, thanks, thanks, for, being thanks for making the podcast. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's kind of, I mean, <laughs> it sounds like movies now where you kind of, you buy into that character because they're so opposite. And then at the end, it's just a 360 degree reversal. And would you, would you what role would you play in this movie? Uh, I would say, well, not 360, 180 degree reversal. I think <laughs> you know, yes, you start yes, looking yes, at yes, it yeah, from the uh, from from the uh, other side. Uh, yeah, I was as, as the title of the book indicates, uh, skeptical, piercing the veil. A skeptical journalist discovers unseen worlds. Uh, I had a you know, very successful career in journalism. Everything was going along well. Uh, from the outside, looked great. But uh, about 32 years ago, I discovered I had an addiction to alcohol. And the way that uh, people often deal with uh, that, uh, you know, life or death situation, is to uh, embark on a spiritual journey. I had no concept of God, no sense of spirituality, but it was life or death. So I said, what the heck, I'm going to give this a try. And it, uh, it launched me on a spiritual journey for the last 32 years where I've experienced amazing things, seen amazing things, some of which defy uh, the known laws of physics, experienced incredible states of consciousness. And uh, I saw on your website you talked about coincidences uh, or synchronicities, uh, an um, enormous number of synchronicities that have directed my life and caused me to understand that uh, as uh, Hamlet said and uh, you know, Shakespeare's Hamlet there's more to heaven and earth a ratio than is dreamt of in your philosophy I love it and when you look back do you think you know why did I have to go through this bout of alcoholism uh, to actually access this space of consciousness or mm. did you think that was part of the plan all along uh, well, you know, you look back with some perspective, and you can see uh, uh, these uh, your life unfolding. Um, you, you, you have to have a few years behind you before you're able to do it, but you get to my age, and you're able to look back and see, hey, this happened, and this happened, and this happened. There seemed to be uh, an intelligent uh, background directing all of this. So, yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, I had choices. I have free will, but yet 
uh, things opened up to me that I had a choice of following or not following and generally chose to follow it, and that led uh, me to where I am today. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, fate, destiny, but I do think uh, you also have free will as well to make the decisions uh, that and head in the direction that you seem to be, be led. Mm-hmm. Now, you said it was 30 years ago, but if, if you can kind of go back, because there's still some people, uh, we have people all walk the life that listen to the podcast, and I'm just thinking if you could uh, 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 humor us and just talk about what was the world like before. I mean, you worked for a major newspaper. You, you had to deal with facts and accuracy the whole time. Mm-hmm. And What was your mindset then, and did that lead to drinking alcohol? Uh, well, I think uh, there are a lot of causes for alcohol. Uh, I had a, a rather uh, tumultuous childhood. I had insanity in my family, lots of alcohol in my family, uh, whether there's an hereditary component, uh, I believe there is. So, but in a profession that's very skeptical and uh, at that point, a very hard drinking profession when I entered it, that's changed somewhat. But uh, uh, so, you know, my... Give, give me the facts. You know, I was I was very much in the world of, largely of politics, and that was how I how I functioned, went through uh, my career. But then, you know, you hit that point where you have to say, "Wow, there's got to be something more than what I'm seeing in the material world," and that's what launched me on the spiritual journey. And I had some and, you know, experiences early in my life. My mother was a suicide. I was living on the other side of the world as a student in South Korea, and uh, that that uh, day I uh, uh, didn't know she had died, but I felt a presence in the room. I felt terrified, absolutely terrified, more so than I had ever been in my life. And I'm uh, 10,000 miles away from home. And uh, looked under the bed before I went to, to sleep, and out the windows in the closet, couldn't find anything, but I shook myself to sleep. And uh, that morning, at about 2 in the morning, I got a call from home telling me my mother had uh, killed herself. You know, how do you explain those things? Uh, it didn't make me a believer in, in ghosts or unseen worlds or anything of that nature, but it, it uh, at least planted a seed, possibly, that there's, uh, there is, that consciousness does survive the death of the body. And I think this is the point where we talk about uh, coincidences and there's no accidents because I, I share. Uh, first of all, I, I want to uh, share my condolences to your to you for your mother, and um, I definitely want to say that. And I think when it happened to me, I now I have some skill sets to kind of deal with the other side of the veil, but I still felt the same feelings that you felt. And my sister was overseas three years ago, uh, living over there, and it was that unshakable feeling that I had never felt. Uh, before finding out that news. So, yeah, so I definitely identify with that. Yeah, my condolences too. uh, Yeah. And so when that happened, it was, um, did you, like from uh, a few years prior when my grandmother had passed, I tried to, I was in corporate, and so I was more the whole let me see the accuracy or let me just see visibly our two eyes. And I tried to package it like I did all the other stuff I did in corporate and say it tried to go to work and say, hey, you know what, I'll deal with this on the weekend. And mm-hmm. my body and I guess the uh, immaterial world had other plans as well. Um, did you, how was it when you found that news? Uh, did you try to go back to the status quo or you knew you had to make a change? 
No, I uh, tried to go back to the status flow. Uh, flow. Like I said, I was still a skeptic. I had no uh, concept of the spirituality. I thought, well, this is an inexplicable experience that signifies nothing. But you know, the psychological tolls it takes on you is immense, and you don't even know that it's taking those tolls. Uh, I uh, then went uh, from, I was in South Korea at the time. I was 20 years old, 19 years old at that time. But I left uh, after a year of study and uh, ended up in India, uh, crossed from, uh, you know, went down uh, into uh, through to Japan and the Philippines, Hong Kong, Thailand. I got to India, Calcutta, and I went from Calcutta all the way back to Cleveland, Ohio, without leaving the ground, and had some amazing experiences in India. That uh, uh, still skeptical, but but just an incredible spiritual sense uh, that I felt in that country that uh, I absolutely loved, but uh, didn't give me any belief in God or any belief in the power of of the spirit. But I was in a place called Banaras, uh, also known as Varanasi, called Varanasi today. It was called Banaras more so when I was there. Um, That was quite quite, quite a ways back. And I'm standing outside, this is the holiest city in in India, I'm standing outside uh, the Golden Temple, and I was not allowed in uh, because I was not a Hindu, but I'm standing there amidst these throngs of people, and I had the sense that it it could have been uh, 500 B.C. when the Buddha was preaching outside of uh, of Benares, just had the sense of timelessness. I'm standing in this line uh, next to these throng of people entering the temple, and an old woman hands me a fistful of flower petals and uh, takes the, my hand and puts it into the mouth of a passing sacred cow that uh, gobbles up the petals and the tongue in the palm of my hand. I remember it like it was yesterday, but it just sent a jolt of uh, uh, electricity or something, uh, ecstasy through me. And I, I was just uh, just transfixed by my where I was, and uh, I made a pledge right then. Someday I will return to this exact spot, and again feed flower petals to a sacred cow. And I turned to thank the woman, and she was gone. Um, but I, I I remembered that pledge, and 20 years later, when I am faced with this uh, life or death struggle with alcoholism, I. Um, made the decision then to return to that exact spot, and it was that return uh, to India that really uh, shifted my consciousness and uh, led me on a spiritual journey that has taken me to many, many incredible places. I love that. I want to unpack a lot of that, and I'm thinking you had mentioned at the top of the hour the states of consciousness and I remember in corporate, you, you've probably heard the simple example, when you go into a, a concert hall or a big meeting room, you could feel that energy if it's cold, if it's warm, you know, if you're going to have a good meeting or not. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you felt it on a greater level in India. And do you think it was because of the, the awareness, or you, it wasn't in your awareness at the time, but do you think looking back now or even today, you can go into different places and feel that state of consciousness that will deny or confirm you should stay there or keep it moving? Oh, absolutely. There's uh, in certain locations, certain uh, places that you I, I've been to, uh, certain cathedrals uh, that you know, just have taken me uh, into uh, oh, sense of deja vu and sense of uh, uh, 
just uh, incredible feelings as well that uh, this is this is a special place. You've had uh, been to Egypt uh, a couple of times. Wrote a novel uh, called Queen of the Heavens, uh, uh, set in ancient Egypt. And sites in Egypt that I've been have just uh, uh, transported me into uh, feelings of uh, uh, that something special about these places that has a a profound impact on you. And I found that in Egypt. I found it in India. I found it in places in the United States as well. Oh, definitely. There's an energy in certain, certain locations that uh, just uh, can, can uh, transport you into a, a different uh, sense of consciousness. No doubt about it. And India is one of those places. It's unlike any other country. My first sight of India was in 1967. I landed in Calcutta during a time of famine, where you literally, literally had dead people lying in the streets. But yet I could still sense a spiritual, a palpable spiritual sense in that country that uh, uh, is like no other country that I've ever been to, even Egypt. But the sense of ancient Egypt uh, standing amidst some of the ruins, just a, a transformative experience. When you were in Calcutta and you said it was the death in the streets, uh, do you think that or do you believe that is why you felt, I mean, you're so close to the veil there. Um, I mean, it's very transitory there at the time that you had gone. Uh, would you look at that as a uh, accelerant to your awareness? Yes, absolutely. I went from there, and I, all this I deal with in the book, but I went uh, from there up into the Himalayas, where into Darjeeling, where I was able to uh, uh, look out at the, the sky or the, what they call the snows, the peaks of uh, the Himalayas. And, but I got up there, and it was a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, city. And not many Westerners were in Calcutta or Darjeeling at that point. It has become particularly Darjeeling, uh, lots of tourists and such, but, but not when I was there. But I was fogged in uh, for, I was there, going to be there for five days, and I was fogged in for f- four of them. And uh, the night before I was to leave, evening before I was to leave, I uh, went to the promontory that overlooked the, the mountains, and just in, sitting in a cloud. But uh, just before the sunset, the clouds started to lift, and it's almost like the veil lifted, <laughs> the clouds lifted, and uh, the air became crystal clear just in a matter of, oh, 15, 20 minutes. And I was able to look out at the mountains and feel that sense of awe and wonder. Uh, from there, I went down to Benares, where I had that experience that I mentioned with the, with the uh, sacred cow and the old woman. And just uh, feelings that uh, I, I had never experienced before. Uh, at that point, at this point, I was only 20 years old, so I didn't have a lot of experiences. But I'd, I'd never ex- felt uh, some of some of what I, I felt when in that trip through India. Uh, Kingsley, so during all this this time, was there one experience that you had that really turned, pretty much got rid of all the skepticism? Because I know, like for myself. When I was younger, I was going having different experiences, and you keep looking for reasons why this this happened, or you why you had this experience, trying to justify it. But at some point in time, you just got to throw your hands in the air and say, you know what? There's a lot going on in this world that I don't know about. You know, there's other dimensions, other things going on, and I'm just going to kind of enjoy discovering 
but you you kind of just throw your hands in the air and say, you know, I don't know everything, and um, and that's all right. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, for you, well, go ahead. Yeah, uh, abs- absolutely. I, I twenty years mentioned after the, that experience in India, where I pledged to go back and feed flower petals to a sacred cow. Twenty years later, that's when I discovered my alcoholism and started on my spiritual journey. So I, I said, okay, it's time for me to go back. And I'm, I'm feeling a sense of uh, you know, reading all the uh, Eastern literature, Christianity, Bible, uh, the Quran. I'm gobbling up as much uh, religious understanding as I could. And I'm feeling a uh, uh, a very, very uh, a strong sense that, hey, I'm on my way. So I'm six months sober. I fly over to Bombay and I see the sights of India, which can be uh, pretty tough. The poverty, the uh, you know, people without limbs, from, lost from leprosy, and uh, shanty towns, just uh, unbelievable poverty. And my, my spiritual sense left me. Like, how could a loving God allow such poverty? To exist, and I got to Benares, and I uh, still having all those feelings of, of uh, boy, my, my I'm going through a dark night of the soul, uh, and really questioning everything about God and you know, my new, newly found spirituality just virtually vanished. And I go to feed the flower petals to the sacred cow one night in Benares, and I'm not feeling anything. I'd hope to re. re reignite that feeling that I had 20 years earlier. So I go down to the Ganges and I said, I'll meditate. I'm meditating on a bench and I feel a bump behind me and I turn around and here's a leper, no arms, uh, his nose just uh, eaten up by leprosy. And I I just looked at that and there's thousands of people around me who think this is the most sacred place on earth funeral pyres uh, burning, uh, uh, people's ashes being thrown in the Ganges, and I'm just take, looking at this site and just shattered and saying, oh my God, this, there can't be a God. And I go down to the river and I said, I'm going to float a, a devotional candle in the river. And uh, it's a candle put on a little plate of leaves, dried leaves, and some women ahead of me put their candles in the river and splashed their hands and the candles went out several paces away and there's a clutch of about eight candles out there. I put my candle in the river and I splash my hands and my candle goes out about three feet the current catches it and starts sending it back to shore. And I had this thought at that point, my God, I've come halfway around the world to have a, a spiritual experience and I can't even float a ga- candle on the Ganges properly. And it was at that exact moment of my despair that a three-inch frog surfaced from the muddy Ganges, grabbed the plate of my candle in its left front leg, and swam it out where it deposited in the middle of the other candles, where it burned more brightly than all the rest. And you know, I was a baptized Catholic, hadn't been to church in years, but uh, dipped my hand in the Ganges and genuflected. It was all I could think to do. And uh, walked back to my dwelling, past the funeral pyres, and... Uh, uh, just said, you know, I'm I'm on the right track. Let's follow this wherever it goes. So if there was one incident, that was it with that frog in the Ganges. Uh, now, people might say, okay, well, that was just a coincidence. Well, uh, 28 years later, uh, just to continue the story, I'm, I'm sitting in meditation, and I get this uh, uh, message uh, 
from in my meditation, visit the graves of your paternal grandparents. Strong message. Couldn't get it out of my mind. And I said, well, I'm not going to fly to Cleveland to do that, but next time I'm in Cleveland, I'll do it. I hadn't been to the grave site in 50 years. But a few months later, I find myself in Cleveland. I go to the grave site. I uh, have flowers I'm going to put down, and I look at at the tombstone, and there's uh, flat to the ground. There's a a leaf, I thought, and I stooped down to brush it away, and off hops a tree frog and disappears in the grass. And that, uh, all I could say at that point, okay, now I know when I got this message. But that launched me on another investigation into uh, uh, psychic awareness that took me to seances and visiting uh, 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 mediums and such, uh, enormous, incredible experiences in that. So the frog has shown up a couple times in my life. You know, uh, you know, these are the stories I I, uh, I relate in my book. Mm-hmm. Hello. Oh, I thought David was jumping in there on that one. Uh-huh. Oh no, go ahead. I was waiting for you. I'm sorry. No, uh, no amazing, problem. amazing stories. It, yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. And, and Kingsley, I, I do want to. I'm looking at some parallels here. So when you were talking about uh, drinking alcohol and you're talking about uh, states of consciousness earlier, and you're mm-hmm. talking about I need to actually go somewhere, um, that, do you feel that's more of a Western thing of we're going we're gonna to achieve that nirvana or that bliss if we actually physically go somewhere? That's, that's kind of a basic teaching over here in the West. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I think of certain uh, ideas of Eastern thinking, for instance, in Taoism, in the, the Dao Te Ching, Ching there's a uh, uh, basic text of Taoism. Uh, um, One needn't leave his home, and he may know the world. Which uh, uh, So you know, your states of consciousness, uh, uh, you can enter amazing states of consciousness right where you are. Now, you're talking about uh, going someplace. One of the people I deal with in the book, as a matter of fact, his daughter uh, wrote the foreword uh, uh, for the book. But it was the uh, late astronaut, Apollo astronaut, Edgar Mitchell, who I knew had some amazing discussions with uh, in the course of uh, over the years. And uh, Coming back from the moon uh, after walking, he was the sixth man to walk on the moon, Coming back in Apollo 14, he entered what is known to, in Sanskrit as a state of samadhi, kind of a rough equivalent to nirvana in Buddhism, but a state of samadhi. And he got back to Earth, and he, he was an MIT scientist. He, he was a pilot, Navy pilot. He wasn't a mystic, but he entered the state as kind of a state of connectedness with all things, accompanied by ecstasy, uh, where that veil between cosmic con- your individual consciousness and cosmic consciousness uh, disappears. And I had experienced uh, the same state after spending uh, two weeks in a, uh, an ashram up in New York State, uh, going through a lot of ceremonies with Brahmin priests and meditating, and uh, got back to Fort Lauderdale and entered the state for about four hours. And it was uh, the most amazing state I've ever been. You cannot look at existence the same after you have been in it. And Edgar, Dr. Mitchell, um, wanted to find out the scientific uh, reasons for this. He's a scientist, so he starts investigating the 
spiritual found the scientific foundations of spiritual experiences dealing going into quantum physics and such things as that uh, established an institute for the study of this um, and we had some uh, amazing discussions because we had this uh, shared experience uh, of of samadhi but um so he had, he went to the moon to find it uh, <laughs> on his return visit. <laughs> I, I went to an ashram in New York, but the, but it, but it's, it's very much an internal thing. Uh, you don't have to go to the moon to get there. You don't have to go to an ashram to get there. But uh, doesn't happen often. It hasn't happened to me again. But uh, it just uh, having spent four hours in this state, it just totally changes your your uh, uh, well the way you look at uh, life, death cosmos so uh, yeah you know I've I've been to different places in the world and had these feelings but I've also uh, uh, experienced them uh, through spiritual practices as well as back here in the United States yeah you're you're saying a lot of that to the chagrin of travel agents because they were licking their tops about a lot of travel people were going to do to reach Samadhi (laughs) (laughs) there's no guarantees on that (laughs) I don't think Edgar Mitchell ever expected it when he was (laughs) I know he didn't expect it when he come back from the moon it's interesting the first time I met him I'm doing a a mutual friend knew him and he had come out with a book so I I said yeah I think I'll do a story for my newspapers and I, I uh, I'm sitting in the study his study up in uh, Jupiter Florida a little north of here and he hands me something that looked like a joystick to a cheap computer game and he said that's the control stick of the lunar lander <laughs> oh my god I guess he and his partner Alan Shepard they were sending the lunar lander to crash back into the moon so they just cannibalized it for uh, for a few souvenirs and he got the uh, control stick so it was a pretty amazing feeling holding uh, holding something on my hand that's been to the movement back <laughs> oh man and I was while you're talking I'm looking at Google flights and there's no flights to the moon so <laughs> darn it <laughs> well, wait, wait until Elon Musk gets going he might he might get something up there. <laughs> it might not be able to afford the ten million he'll charge or what or twenty million, but but it'll that, probably that's just uh, to get on the rocket, right? Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so we're kind of playing tongue in cheek with the whole travel, and I'm glad you you highlighted that state of consciousness, and mm-hmm. I want to get your 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 opinion on this because you said this happened in the 80s where you were dealing with alcohol and it and in a way it is a, a way uh, I mean alcohol is known as a spirit and mm-hmm. so you're most people do that as an escape because they're thinking okay uh, there's maybe there's something else out there or, or is this all there is mm-hmm. and so um, if we could fill in the blank and take out alcohol today especially in the state of Florida you would say opioids mm-hmm. and why is that so high is that because they're is some level of escapism like is that all there is to life um, there has to be more and we're looking for that outlet uh, yeah I think you nailed it uh, the, the, the reason for that absolutely now uh, you know I go back to the 60s I uh, went to school during the 60s and of course I was out of out of the country for a good part of, of the uh, craziness of that and so but uh, uh, you know looking looking for uh, you know, the LSD and uh, marijuana and such um, mushrooms change your state of consciousness. Um, 
but you don't need it. Uh, and it, it, you know, there's spiritual practices. I've been stone cold sober for 32 years, and I've had these experiences <laughs> while sober. Uh, so, but you're absolutely right. I think people are looking for escape. Uh, the question of is this all there is, and, and for a short time anyway, through uh, external means, you're able to uh, experience that. Um, now. Some people, uh, Algis Huxley being one, uh, The Doors of Perception, uh, in his book, I think he notes that uh, uh, the brain is is not uh, where we develop all these ideas, but uh, the brain is a filtering mechanism. And what you need to do is uh, uh, realize that and, and uh, I think through meditation and such, you quiet the mind somewhat and, and so all of these uh, stimuli uh, are able to enter you that would not be not otherwise. For instance, there is so much going on around us. If we could see microwaves, we wouldn't be able to see across the street uh, if we could see them, but we can't see them. Uh, sounds, there are sounds on the uh, dogs can hear that we can't hear. Um, uh, vision, uh, eagle can see the way we can't see. Uh, so it, we, we, we are surrounded by all sorts of stimuli that if we let them in, uh, you, you, you would have a different uh, perspective of existence. And I think that's the uh, purpose of uh, spiritual practices. You, these spirits, these stimuli uh, can enter you that they might not otherwise em enter uh, uh, otherwise. So, and there's techniques to get there, uh, breathing techniques, uh, meditation techniques, uh, what I went through in the ashram, uh, lots going on that we we don't know about um, and that um, maybe we'll learn about someday. I think we're uncovering things and having some uh, concepts of the laws of physics that we didn't have just 10, 15, 20 years ago that are opening the possibilities uh, of of the existence of different dimensions. String theory, for instance, posits uh, about 10 or 11 different dimensions. Um, well, uh, what if we could access those dimensions? If, in fact, string theory, there's something to string theory. What if we could access those dimensions? What would our uh, existence look like? It would be quite different, I think, than what we're able to perceive today. It's exciting. Yeah, it's really encouraging. <laughs> It's a very exciting time, and, and that you know the whole 360 degrees where uh, where things that happened in the past are being revisited. You do hear about Silicon Valley microdosing on um, psilocybin to access those other states of awareness. Mm -hmm. and so there is some image or some glimpse of the 60s and 2.0 how we're going to do it differently. Yep. And what what I saw really what I saw that was really interesting yesterday. You know, shout out to all the uh, college football fans because we're right back in the throes of college sports or college mm -hmm. football. And NFL starts today. But in the news after the game yesterday, they were highlighting how they were talking about the big hurricane that just passed Dorian. And they were saying that with this 5G technology, you will not be able to detect the hurricane patterns like because we're that 5g is, is tapping into different realms that is obstructing uh, what we currently see in the third dimension or are you following any of that from a i'm trying to be balanced not all in of oh 5g is the devil to you know like you were saying being accurate and 
and having some sense of, of objectiveness. Uh, yeah, what's your take on it? I, I haven't haven't really been following that, but uh, one of the things in in actually in the acknowledgments, I quote uh, uh, Thomas Edison, and he is he says basically people say I created things, and he said no, I really never created anything. I I just got these impressions from outside of me. And, and and put things together. So uh, as, as we we move forward uh, in in our science, uh, I think there's a lot of things that are going to be rather amazing and open us up to uh, uh, different ways of thinking. Uh, for instance, the telescope. Uh, before Galileo focused on the moons of Jupiter, our whole idea of the of the cosmos was uh, somewhat different than it is. Uh, what did uh, radio do? Uh, change our, our perception so much. Television, uh, the computer age, changing the way we look at things. Uh, our, you know, the science is happening so fast uh, that sometimes you, you, know, you worry it's getting ahead of us, but it is also opening the doors to enormous potential and also enormous uh, issues uh, and problems that... Uh, Sometimes we rush too quickly into things without really realizing what the uh, consequences are going to be. Uh, so, five uh, G, yeah, it's going to speed things up even faster than they are right now. So, yes, <laughs> things indeed. are moving quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How much faster can it go? Right. <laughs> That's one reason I think it's important to have a meditation practice. Slows things, slow things down uh, for you. And, uh, uh, yeah. we, we become so uh, addicted almost to external stimuli. You know, I was addicted to alcohol uh, to, to escape, but uh, external stimuli that we, you know, people addicted, addicted to uh, uh, internet addiction or whatever, uh, addicted to all sorts of things that things that we're facing now that we we didn't have to face just uh, 25 30 years ago mm-hmm. cell phone i think you know, i think of when i crossed uh, crossed asia I'd, I'd find myself in the middle of india or afghanistan or iran and nobody knew where i was and i didn't have any way to contact anybody you know, I could maybe find a phone and figure out how to make an international call, but I didn't have any money. I could, I couldn't. I, I just leave in the morning, and uh, nobody knew where I was. I could have ended up dying in Afghanistan. Nobody, nobody would have known a thing. But now we're in constant contact with our, with our cell phones anywhere in the world. So it's just quite a difference. So one of the things I, my first uh, crossed uh, Asia and the '60s. Uh, you got into the third world, everybody used abacuses, everyone. Mm-hmm. And then when I uh, went the second time, 20 years later, nobody used abacuses. They were all using uh, handheld uh, calculators. So, uh, you know, the changes that just took place in those 20 years, uh, just uh, just phenomenal, and they're coming faster and faster and faster. And I'm actually sitting on my hands here because, it hasn't reached the states yet, but they have that new movie, The Current War. Mm-hmm. And are you familiar with that movie where they're talking about the battle with uh, Edison, Westinghouse, and Tesla? Uh, I am not, but I am a little familiar. I'm somewhat familiar with uh, Edison, Westinghouse, and Tesla and the battle between AC and DC current and such. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> just a fascinating. Uh, 
battle. And of course, Tesla, you know, one of just finally, because Elon Musk named a car after him, I think is getting some of the credit that uh, uh, he, he didn't get earlier in the century. But uh, an amazing man with some ideas of how to uh, tap into power sources uh, without uh, power lines or, or uh, you know, burning of fossil fuels. Just an amazing man. Uh, and yeah. we're seeing we're seeing so much uh, so much change coming uh, in that respect right now as well. So, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah. let me ask you, uh, Kingsley, as you were having your experiences and, and going and coming to new truths and uh, realizations, how was that affecting the relationships with those around you? Like, I, I can imagine maybe. When you were still, you know, a journalist and, and in that skepticism mode, uh, maybe your circle of friends were a certain kind of people, and then as you started, you know, traveling the world and having experiences, and did that change your relationships with uh, those that you know you were close to? Yeah, and uh, one of those things that in in the newspaper, uh, I didn't speak much about any of this. I'm not going to go into the editor's office and say, hey, I'm, I'm heading up to New York to an ashram or I'm going to meditate and chant yeah. and uh, go through ceremonies with Brahmin priests. You know, I didn't, didn't <laughs> this was all done uh, under the radar, That's not secretly, but under the radar. Uh, uh, I, I just, not something that uh, you, you would talk about or not something that most people in the newsroom could relate to. I, you know, I'd only share it with uh, my, uh, my friends outside of uh, the profession. And the reason for that, my name was on the masthead of a major daily newspaper. And I, you know, you, you, you have to... Uh, take into consideration perceptions uh, that people might have of you. But I've been out of the new pa- newspaper business full-time for a number of years now, and I wrote a column for eight years, but I haven't done that for the last six years. So I, my my book is in itself, uh, yeah, I'm at that point in life where, okay, I don't have to impress anyone. I don't have to... Uh, uh, I, I don't have to hide who I am from anyone. I can come out and write about this. And in doing so, I hope to get other people talking about the experiences that they have had that they may have uh, been uh, reluctant to talk about for fear of ridicule or even fear that uh, uh, they might have been uh, going crazy. Well, no, these things you know, happen. These synchronicities happen. Start noticing them. Start talking about them. Don't be ashamed of your your spiritual journey and your spiritual uh, experiences and adventures. Uh, I, I'd like to see greater dialogue uh, going on the subjects that we've been talking about today. So at, at this point, I, I, uh, I'm not worried about... Uh, uh, anything really I, I have a nice condominium down in Fort Lauderdale you know I'm I'm doing okay I uh but uh, I think it's time to just uh, uh let it all hang out let's say and uh, this is who I am this is what I've experienced and if you can relate to it great if you can't uh that's fine too you know but uh, uh I feel a journalistic obligation to report these amazing experiences that I've had in Kingley, we couldn't have set up a better segue about the rabbit hole. So when you had talked about going to the ashram and such, you had garnered an interest in seances and mediums. Uh, what was the original insight into doing that, and do you have a different opinion today? 
Yeah, um, the uh, I, I mentioned the frog on my grandparents' gravestone, mm-hmm. and I, I said to myself, okay, there's obviously a message here, but what is that message, and uh, and how am I going to find out? And I said, okay, well, uh, I'm very skeptical about mediums and psychics and such, but I'm going to explore that. And, uh, you're from Orlando. You may have heard of the uh, city of Casadega or the ta- uh, yeah. spiritual center of Casadega. I went up there yeah. and uh, had a couple readings that were just absolutely spot on. Uh, uh, and I, I deal with those in the book. That got me uh, exploring uh, physical mediumship, in which uh, in in the seances you get levitations, you get uh, uh, things flying around the room, you get appearances of uh, ectoplasm from the medium and uh, faces uh, that appear in the ectoplasm and such. Um, You know, all of this sounds really crazy, and boy, I, I... before would have said this is a bunch of nonsense it's all fraud it's all fake but um, uh, there's a place in Fort Lauderdale that I and I deal with these in the book it's called the metaphysical chapel uh, which uh, occasionally has these mediums uh, who are pretty amazing and there's one in particular from Germany Kai Muge who uh, visited and I visited him a couple of times and the, the experiences were just so incredible including and this is how I end the book, and I don't want to give away everything in the book, you know. <laughs> That's how I end the book, yeah. with a, a physical manifestation of, uh, of something and, and the circumstances that, that related directly to me. And the circumstances surrounding that were, were truly amazing. And it was, uh, uh, it, it was let's say, the most um, mind-boggling day of my life, and I've been to, to several of these, but this first one just uh, was, just was mind-boggling. And uh, In the late 19th, early 20th century, there was the, not late 19th, actually started in the 1840s, but uh, up through the 1920s or so, the spiritualist movement in the uh, United States and Europe was very, very strong, in which uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, these seances were, were quite uh, common and uh, a uh, lot of skepticism, and I'm still a skeptic. I don't take anything at face value, but sometimes uh, you get hit upside the head so often that uh, you just have to say, hey, uh, this is real, and did some exploration into the spiritualist movement, and certain people, certain, uh, you might have heard the name Alfred Russell Wallace. His name is on the Origin of Species with Charles Darwin. And he went out to study these uh, appearances and apparitions and uh, defiance of the law of gravity. And he concluded this, that there was much of this that was uh, real. Another famed scientist, uh, Albert Crookes, he uh, discovered thallium, invented the vacuum tube, was a member of the Royal Society. He said, I'm going to study this. And his fellow scientists said, great, Crookes is going to show that this uh, is all nonsense. And Crookes goes out and does his scientific study and concludes, no, this isn't nonsense. And some of his work was the most uh, uh, detailed uh, out there. The Russians studied it, the French studied it, the Germans studied it. Uh, there, there is scientific uh, uh, information uh, 
from this earlier age, from top scientists who, who say, no, this is true. Today, if it doesn't fit the paradigm, uh, people are going to say, ah, it doesn't make, it's nonsense, it doesn't, it's all fraud, it's all fake. Well, no, it's not. There, there are frauds and there are fakes, but not all is fraudulent and not all is fake. And uh, I think it warrants us at this point to, to start looking into it. Uh, there's a, an interesting uh, uh, show that uh, can be accessed on YouTube. It's called The Afterlife Investigations. And uh, it, it deals with some of the things that I deal with in the book and uh, with these uh, physical seances where physical things happen. And uh, uh, very, very interesting. I'd, I'd recommend to your listeners... Uh, Take a look at it. It might open some people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. And I'm also thinking uh, back at that time, like you said, uh, in the 20s, during that, that big wave here in the States, uh, got to give a shout-out to the one known as Abdul. And he doesn't have any any videos on YouTube, but the person that he highly influenced was um, – uh, what's his name? Oh, my goodness, I just had his name, and I listen to him all the time. Uh, he will come back to me. Oh, my goodness. Um, but at any rate, uh, Neville Goddard. Thank you. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. Okay, thanks. So Neville Goddard, and, you know, he has a ton of videos and audios and what have you that are out there. And he was talking about states of consciousness that we were talking about at the top of the hour. And he was saying, you know, like most comedians say, uh, only everyone knows that you die. The only person that doesn't is you. <laughs> and you're... <laughs> You're like, I'm dead? Oh, for real? What happened? And so you're in this other state of consciousness that uh, you weren't aware of before, and it was like somebody had to tap you on the shoulder. And so um, I've been in in mediumships uh, where people wanted to speak to grandma, and maybe the dad that they didn't get along with uh, had had come along. And I wanted to know, you know, at the time you didn't know you were on the other side of the world. You found out that your mother had transitioned. And were you using that as some type of uh, medium, pun intended, to get in touch with her? Yeah. Do uh, we all have some sort of uh, capacity in, in regards to that? Uh, I do believe now that the uh, uh, consciousness survives the death of the body. Uh, this is in all the great religions that is is uh, you know part and parcel with with it uh, some think it's through uh, a reincarnation that uh, we come back others think that the soul progresses uh, through other phases or levels in the, in the spiritual world um, this is uh, but 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 it is a constant and has been a constant for for five thousand years of civilization that we know of and I'm sure before that even before the written word uh, and there are studies now being done um, uh, University of Virginia for instance has a, an institute that is studying the survival of consciousness and reincarnation um, the major university this is this is uh, being uh, dealt with. Uh, of course, the Hindus have known it, and Buddhists have known it, for Taoists have known it for thousands and thousands of years. Their concept is that uh, we do come back, but and the soul does advance and through different lives. One of the people lives down near here is, uh, or did anyway, Brian Weiss, uh, Many Lives, Many Masters. He wrote this book years ago. Uh, 
and he was the head of psychiatry at, uh, I think it's in Miami Beach, at Mount Sinai Hospital. And he wrote that book, oh boy, we're probably going back 30 years anyway, uh, where he would regress patients and was amazed to find that in these regressions people would enter other lives. And uh, to him, he felt that this was a, a very useful scientific tool. And he went out and he wrote, wrote the book. Took a lot of courage for him to do that. I mean, he's he was lots of hypnotherapists who had been doing this for years, but he was the uh, MD, head of psychiatry for a major uh, medical institution. And you have to wonder what you know the eyebrows going up <laughs> among his peers in the in the uh, in, in the uh, medical community. Uh, that's one reason that uh, I, I wrote this book, and I I. I developed a very good reputation as a, a journalist down here in South Florida. And uh, I, I feel that that may give me, give, give the book some credibility that uh, because I was, you know, I was not uh, a person who spent his entire life in a cave in the Himalayas writing this. I was a person who was dealing with uh, uh, very much the, the, what quote, real world situations and, uh, so you know, that's one of the reasons I, I, I felt an obligation to write this. Yeah, I have to give a shout out to Barbara uh, that listens. Uh, she told me I, w- I was a big fat liar, and just like uh, Dr. Weiss and yourself, we were living in those two worlds. And in the dating world, I was totally like that. I wouldn't go out and talk about this at all. <laughs> and, you know, six months later, I start liking a girl, and I start talking about this. They're like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you get the point in life where it doesn't matter, and I'm at that point. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I wasted a lot of six months. <laughs> I was you a big, fat liar. Her. You want to think I'm nuts crazy? That's all right. It's not going to affect my life one way or the other. I can laugh now, but at those early days, it was a challenge. <laughs> well, I think, you know, with podcasts like yours and other, other shows, that uh, uh, I, I think people are uh, starting to uh, be more inclined to uh, – to talk about the some of these things, and I don't think the major media is yet, but uh, you know, the, the let's say the uh, legacy media is is ready to talk about it, uh, mm-hmm. but um, other media outlets certainly certainly are. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, as a as a journalist, uh, when we talk about past lives and traveling and, and reaching the, the states of of euphoria, in many cases they are outside of the United States. You think of, like you said, India. Um, you think of, of Egypt and some of these other places, and you mentioned here in the states, and we have a, a short mind state, just probably because of how we were brought up of just thinking 1776, but this landmass was uh, lived upon before that, and so mm-hmm. I'd like for you to talk a little bit about the places in the United States where you had uncovered energies um, in your travels. Uh, well, certainly the Sri Muktananda City Yoga Ashram in uh, New York, uh, in, in the Catskill Mountains, uh, South Fallsburg, New York, was just an amazing place. Uh, 
that that uh, you know, transformative place. Another place was Crestone, Colorado, and I mentioned that in the book. Crestone is up about 8,000 feet. It was a site uh, um, Native Americans uh, found sacred, and is now, uh, I think, even since I was there nearly 30 years ago, uh, it's it's grown as a spiritual center. But certainly, some uh, interesting, amazing things happened to me in Crestone uh, that I deal with in the book. Um, uh, I, 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 for some reason, just absolutely loved it. Lake Tahoe area. There's just a spiritual sense that I get uh, in that area. And I go back there every year just to sort of renew myself and escape the South Florida heat. <laughs> but, Mm-hmm. It's sitting there in the uh, in the uh, Sierra Nevadas, uh, just incredible. The redwoods of California is another place. Redwood uh, forests of California are. It's almost like the the trees have souls. Uh, that uh, in the midst of those redwoods is just uh, was a transformative experience. The Grand Canyon, looking out at the Grand Canyon, I've been there three times, and it's just you realize the power of nature. Um, and I think in this country, certainly uh, places of natural setting uh, are, are just uh, so dramatic and, and so dynamic that uh, um, you can't uh, can't deny some some special special energy there. As for physical places, I mentioned Casadega, but there's a place up in uh, uh, New York, uh, not too far from Buffalo, uh, called. Um, Lilydale, which is was is the uh, center of, uh, of the spiritualist uh, movement, was years ago and a century ago, and still is a very powerful place that I, I found. Um, you look at the Native American culture, of course, that we have, and, and uh, I think people discovering the uh, spiritual dynamics of that culture uh, truly. Uh, Different from from uh, the European perspective on on, on existence, and uh, we're, we're rediscovering that. And, uh, glad that we are. Glad that we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds like David wanted to jump in. Mm-hmm. David? Oh uh, no, no, I'm just just enjoying listening to you. I was just going to ask you real quick, um, Keely, have you ever heard of? Um, um, an author by the name of Wayne Peterson, and he wrote a book called Extraordinary Times, Extraordinary Beings, Experiences of an, Okay, Experiences of an American Diplomat. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting, very interesting book. I just from your story, it's something that you uh, you might like. So I thought I'd mention it. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, you, you you look at extraordinary. You mentioned extraordinary beings. Uh, yeah. One of the people that uh, I, I had a privilege of meeting in my uh, uh, journalistic career with a couple other, a few other journalists over at the in Moscow was Mikhail Gorbachev, and uh, mm. I was sitting. Uh, I, we had about an hour and a half conversation with uh, President Gorbachev. This was after he he had uh, left office. This was uh, 1999. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, but uh, sitting, you know, I'm sitting a few feet away from him, and, and just a brilliant, absolutely brilliant man, and just 
a sense about him that uh, here here was an extraordinary being, and I think about that time in uh, history where uh, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev and Margaret Thatcher and Pope John Paul II and Ronald Reagan and Lech Walesa uh, came together uh, in in what eventually resulted in the uh, fall of uh, the Berlin Wall and the Soviet Union and and. You know what? What was uh, it, it? Was one of those things that caused me to ask: Is are there things going on that shape our destiny that we that would bring these people together? You can think of 1776 and, and the geniuses that were were brought together back then: the um, uh, Jeffersons and Hamiltons and Washingtons and Adams and uh, Madisons, and and you just say, boy. He, what what would uh, bring them together to create what they created? Uh, it, it gives you, I think, a different uh, perspective, at least for me, a uh, uh, perspective on history and think that uh, there may be some sort of uh, guiding light that is helping us through some uh, very difficult times. Yeah, when you mentioned Gorbachev and those guys in the late 80s and the fall of the wall, uh, there is that school of thought on this side of the veil that that was the impetus for the Mandela effect. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the Mandela Ma- effect? Ma- you're talking Nelson Mandela? Yes. Uh, well, I'm familiar with him, but uh, the Mandela effect I'm not uh, totally f- not familiar with. Uh, sure. And it, it could be another rabbit hole on YouTube on a Sunday. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. it, it, but it's 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 a it's a school of thought in that uh, when that wall went down, that there was a divide. If we talk about uh, quantum physics, and so there's some people that remember, you know, Mandela either dying in jail or Mandela being released in jail, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of that was around that time, and mm-hmm. where people have two different memories, like you don't remember ketchup, or you know, just simple things like that, and and. And so the the impetus was that uh, that the, those meetings with Margaret Thatcher and, and Gorbachev and those guys uh, for the wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know as I quoted earlier uh, Shakespeare and Hamlet. There's more heaven and earth a ratio than I dreamt of in your philosophy. And the, the longer I live, the the more I recognize the wisdom of Shakespeare in saying that uh, uh, things that I might have questioned uh, or did question years ago. They may sound bizarre and they may seem strange, and um, I don't accept them on face value by any stretch. But I don't. Uh, I don't dismiss them. One of the worst things uh, uh, people can do is have contempt without investigation. And uh, and I, I think, uh, for instance, I had contempt for the idea of uh, spiritual transformation until I was forced in a life or death situation to explore it. And I started investigating it, and you know, my temp- contempt vanished. So. Uh, lots of things happening that uh, more and more will be revealed as as time goes on. Yeah, one, one other addition I want to add, since you were enamored with the Indian culture uh, there, and people doing uh, psilocybin and LSDs and such, uh, there is a powder called uh, Harataki, and I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's only like 11 bucks on Amazon, and if you take a, a, a spoonful before you go to bed, you know, put it in liquid or what have you, the dream state is just phenomenal. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that with uh, with your spiritual awareness, you may have more uh, a greater experience than oh look at I had I experienced so many different crazy colors. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's based off of your level of awareness and how you respond to it. Yeah. And in the in that Indian community, I, I it was one of those. I wish I had known about this a long time ago. I mean, David and I talked about going to uh, Peru for an ayahuasca retreat, and I'm like this hirataki, and I don't even have to purge myself and <laughs> go through <laughs> what happened over there. <laughs> so, <laughs> it may be ayahuasca light <laughs> to an American <laughs> listening. <laughs> Well, you know, Lewis Carroll supposedly wrote uh, uh, his work. Uh, you talk about rabbit holes, but uh, Alice in Wonderland and, and funny mushrooms. So, you know, who, who knows? Uh, who knows what's happening here? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, and uh, like you just said, we're encouraged with uh, so much that's happening now. And I think that people will be further encouraged when they read uh, "Piercing the Veil: A Skeptical A Skeptical Journalist Discovers Unseen Worlds." Could you tell people where they could pick that up? up and how they can get more information from you? Yes, absolutely. It's available on Amazon, uh, and it's available in ebook form. It's a black and white form, and uh, it's got inside color illustration, so it's a color form as well. So it's, it's uh, available on Amazon. I also have a website, kingsleyguy.com. That's K-I-N-G-S-L-E-Y-G-U-Y.com, and you can order it from there. That'll take you to Amazon. But there's more information on me and uh, also on the other book I wrote, Queen of the Heavens, which is a a novel set in ancient Egypt. Uh, But kingsleyguy.com can get you to Amazon or you can go directly to Amazon and just put in Kingsley Guy, Piercing the Veil, and uh, it should come up. Fantastic. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. Kingsley, it was a pleasure speaking with you today, and I'd love to stay in touch if we could. Absolutely. I, uh, you have my email, I have yours, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, share some of my perspectives uh, with you. Well, thanks for being with us. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.